This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Join 84.9 Sound your inside guide to the music industry with myself, Leo, and Brian this evening. Good evening, guys. Now, Brian, you know how we love to support local music? Mm-hmm. Even better, local singer-songwriters who are out and proud. Absolutely. I think between us, we've interviewed quite a few of those artists over the years. Um, Mika... I'm name dropping here. Mika, <laughs> Mika, we can do this. Our show. We're allowed Mika, to. Diana Hayes, Anthony Clear, Adam Lambert. Who else? Tim Campbell. Tim Campbell. Heaps of people. Anyway, lots of them. Um, We've got another one tonight. Another one tonight. A singer songwriter from Sydney. Um, his new videos cause a bit of a bit of a stir online. A good stir. <laughs> a hot stir. Actually. Welcome back to the Joy Studios, Jack Colwell. Hi, Hi guys. Jack. How are you going? Good. Now you were in Last Joy a few years ago for an interview when you released your very very first, I guess, music. Yeah, my first EP. Um, it was called White Noise, and I um, I produced it all in my bedroom, and it was a folktronic EP actually, which was kind of a genre that uh, Patrick Wolf pioneered um, at the time around two thousand eight, which sounds like a very long time ago now. But yeah, I released it as my teens, and it had a small pickup on community radio by FBI in Sydney. And then I did a small show and tour run, dropping in at Joy. Yeah, I guess I guess now I'm now I'm back at Joy with a stronger and newer release. You mentioned Patrick Wolf then, yeah, because in a few articles you've been compared to him and Nick Cave, yeah, mm. which is pretty daunting and cool at the same time. Was that the intention? Have they been influences in your career so far? Yeah, Patrick Wolf was definitely somebody whose music inspired me um, as a teenager. I remember buying his first EP online, which had a really cute track on it called Pumpkin Soup. And um, That sounds delish. Yeah, it, it was a very <laughs> delicious track. And, um, and, you know, Patrick went to sort of pave the way on his own genre, I suppose, taking both elements of his own classical training and um, inspiration from the pop music that he was writing. I guess similar to my background at the Conservatorium and my interest in pop music. Um, so Patrick Wolf is definitely somebody that I looked towards during the early stages of um, my career. And um, Nick Cave, surprisingly, was not really somebody that I used to listen to uh, when I first began writing songs. But um, as I grew older... I grew to have an appreciation for him and his music. I think mainly out of the fact that people referenced me to him, maybe because of the fact that almost forced you to sort of yeah. Check I guess the guy well, out. well, when when you're male and Australian and you have a low baritone voice, I mean, I feel like and your music's a little bit dark. I feel like that's a comparison that is um, a bit hard to avoid for music uh, journalists to make. But lucky for me, I really respect Nick and I do really enjoy listening to his music. And um, his last release, Push the Sky Away, would be one of my favourite albums of 
last year, over 2014. You mentioned the music um, conservatorium before, mm. because your household was full of music, because your mum was a music teacher. My mum was a music teacher for a long time, and I think that she always had a plan for me to be a classical musician. I don't know really? if she... Okay. Yeah. Would that have worked if you did take a <laughs> classical turn? Um, well, I, I, you did. I, I did. Yeah, that, that, that's that's all the, I did for a, a really long time. I mean, I studied at the Conservatory Music High School. Mm. I was a member of the SBS Television Orchestra. What did that teach you? That whole was it like? I mean, I spoke to a guy um, who went to a similar school. Mm-hmm. Is it Juilliard School of Music oh, in wow. New York? Very prestigious. And yeah, yeah. So I guess I asked him the same question: Is it like fame? in some regard, but probably <laughs> in your case, it's quite conservative, I guess, but is there a lot of sort of jamming and collaborating and... Well, not so much. I mean, I think I think one of the main things about classical musicians is that they're... And, and this, this is obviously only a very small... This is just a pigeonholed view that I might be um, painting here, but mm. classical musicians can often be really adept at their instruments and they can be fantastic players and fantastic readers, but because of the way that classical music is taught and structured, it can sometimes leave you in quite a narrow box for creative expression. So because somebody is a fantastic instrumentalist and may be able to sight read, you know, a really difficult bark suite or something, it doesn't mean that they will necessarily have that creative side of playing an instrument as opposed to somebody who might have studied jazz or Mm. pop music. So uh, tell us how do the dance classes come in, Jack, because you've done a few of them as well. Yeah, I do. Well, I've always enjoyed dancing um, and moving. And um, growing up, when when I studied classical music, part of this class that I went to was they encouraged people to sort of present the music as movement. So to be able to understand the mood or the emotion of a classical piece, you were encouraged to perform the work in a style of dance or body movement. For me, that helps with the emotional relationship between me and what I'm playing. I'm, I mean, as well, the dancing is the dancing is just a hobby that I sort of enjoy that has picked up over time. But having said that, um, a lot of artists that I really admire, people like Kate Bush or David Bowie, both of whom learned off a really famous mime teacher called Lindsay Kemp, have incorporated um, elements of dance and more movement into their film clips and work. And I think that um, as an artist... I mean, I consider myself more an artist than a musician, if that makes sense. Mm. So it means that when I'm planning a release or I'm planning a video or something for my work, I want to have control over all those elements, including my movement and how I'm presented. Are you a control freak too? A little bit. Maybe 80%, (laughs) but I I reckon I could be a little bit It's in all of us, I think. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned Kate Bush then. Yeah. Because she's one of your inspirations. Mm -hmm. Also, Troy Amos and Courtney Love. Jerry Halliwell. Oh, I do like Jerry Hallowell, yeah. <laughs> Early is, Jerry Hallowell. I guess when... <laughs> Jerry, Jerry was the brains behind the Spice she Girls. Was. Yeah, she was. I feel like, like the music I, business yeah, side she, of things. She, she was, and she also encouraged all the girls to, um, to <laughs> put on, their girl. clothes, she to was put their clothes in um, garbage bags <laughs> and run away into the night and started this... Um, she just forced them all to go into um, the big music offices and perform yeah. Wannabe yeah. before it was released until they swapped management. Yeah, I've been very interested in Jerry and um, mm. her stylings over the years. I, I guess growing up, you're into like that sort of 90s pop 
Yeah. Like us all. Yeah, I was a member of the Spice Girls fan club. <laughs> um, <laughs> when did you realise that you were gay? Or when did you realise that you were different from the other boys in the classroom? Um, I came out very young when I was 12. Wow, that's and, really young. Um, that is young. Yeah, that is very young. And, um, and for me, it's never... I've never... I, I have felt different, although I am a part of... A, minority so to speak but i've never really experienced that confusion to do with my sexuality and i think because of the sorts of environments that i grew up in when um sexual feelings or realizations start to come to the forefront i think um you know being at a classical music school was definitely a really safe environment and for me i i was quite fortunate for my sexuality not to be an issue growing up in the social sort of areas that I was in. Yeah, my, my sexuality hasn't been so much of an issue to me. So family was okay about it? Yeah. Everyone was, fiends were okay about it? Yeah, all, all, my, all my friends were. And I think that, um, you know, for young people now, I think being gay is even more acceptable now than even when I came out um, in 2002, that would have been. So, yeah, my, my family were supportive and understanding, and I think it just took them a little bit of time to change their thoughts, I suppose, on, on, on the matter, because, I mean, they weren't expecting to have a, a gay son. Mm. And, um, you know, I think for any family, when they have a child that comes out as a different sexuality. It just, there's always an adjustment period, I think. Absolutely. Maybe. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that's totally fine as well. And then, you know, they invite me and my partner around for dinner and all sorts of things. So it's all good. That's fine. Very nice. Now, Brian, let's bring up speed. The last album, Picture Window in 2012. Tell us a little bit about that and how different that is to your, your current stuff, Jack. Yeah, uh, Picture Window was an independent album I released. It was my first time in a proper studio. Um, I worked with a producer who worked on Lanny Lane's ARIA award-winning album, To the Horses, um, a guy called Chris Rollins, who also produced my latest single, Don't Cry Those Tears. Um, he's a very talented man. The album sort of focused more around a Baroque pop sound that I was fashioning at the time and that I'm I'm still really interested in but um, I mean I feel like I've spoken a lot about the con today but I was not that far out of my orchestral and classical training and the album seemed to reflect my background in classical music and um, and I was very concerned with writing music that seemed classical or complicated or Worked. I mean, I, I was, I was very, I was, I was still inspired by Tori Amos during that point, but I was also listening to a lot of other other artists like Joanna Newsom, who just did her really um, ornate orchestral album Years that came out around that time, mm. and um, there also seemed to be a growing trend in popular music. Like Sufjan Stevens had just had a few really big releases around that point, and there were a lot of artists, uh, Smog, Bill Callahan, who were incorporating orchestral sounds and orchestral backgrounds into their work and it was it seemed very exciting to me because that was the world that I knew best because I want to ask you you've performed at the opera house yes for I vivid have. live festival yeah 
and also worked with the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and Architecture in Helsinki. Yeah. And also the tribute to the Avalanches yeah, as well. That's true. How was that experience for you? Those three experiences that were all tied up with the Vivid Festival were are, I shouldn't say were, they are things that I will um that I will never forget. I mean they're some of my proudest moments as a musician. I mean, I think any musician growing up in Australia certainly would love to have the opportunity to perform at the Opera House. And I'm I've been very lucky enough to have that experience three times to date. And each project that you mentioned there, the architecture in Helsinki, yeah yeah yes and the Avalanches tribute were projects that I really cared about and um, and I found very inspiring to work on. And I think those experiences, are, along with um, my f- former training, um, have definitely shaped me and the musician that I am today. You mentioned Patrick Wolf before, and a few years ago, he on Twitter, he contacted you. Yes, You're going through a bit of a dark time in your mm-hmm. life. Explain what was going through your life back then and what was like an artist that you have often been compared to mm. contacting you and then saying, I've been actually following your career for a couple of years. Yeah. Patrick did reach out to me during a difficult time in my life. And I think him reaching out to me, especially as somebody who had been a fan of his work mm-hmm. and having his acknowledgement on me as a, another performer, another young performer, definitely gave, gave me a sense of purpose, I suppose, to keep going. Because there, there was a time there a couple of years ago where I wasn't really quite as sure what I was doing with my life. And I think I might have been a bit lost in terms of where I was going personally. And having the support of that message just reaffirmed in me uh, to sort of keep going, I suppose, um, with my career and what I was doing and to maybe come out of a place where I wasn't as happy as I am today. Our special guest in studio tonight is Mr. Jack Colwell. He is a singer-songwriter from Sydney, out and proud as well, chatting more with Jack next on Joy. Join the 4.9, Sam is the inside guide to the music industry. In studio with me and Brian tonight is Jack Colwell. Now, Brian, the new EP is called When Flooded Could I Let Go. That was released last month. Only When Flooded Could I oh, Let Go. Oh, Only When Flooded, yeah, when it let's go. Um, Jack, interesting title. Why that title? Uh, I went on a Were trip. you suffering any water problems at home? <laughs> no. <laughs> or did you have a flood? <laughs> no. No, although although there, there have been some jokes made about the title. I do realise that it is a little bit obscure and it is overly long, especially for an EP title. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I am in the Fiona Apple school of writing. Um, long and Fiona, yeah, Fiona, Fiona <laughs> takes the, the Guinness World Book of Records for the longest album title in history. Um, I only know the first three, three words when the porn, but um, I wish I could quote the whole thing. The title actually, it didn't, it didn't come to me as such that I invented it, but I guess it arrived to me at a time when the phrase seemed to be very poignant in my life. I was actually on a trip in Europe um, and I went to, I, I just happened to be walking 
Past through... the Trevi Fountain. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I was working through Amsterdam, actually. I did, I did a, I went to Europe and I did a few shows. Yeah. Amsterdam's um, great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I mean, I went What's the bike riding? And I know, mm. and it's so easy to get around. It is. It is. Everything leads back to the square, well. yeah. right? So yeah. go on. Oh, well, well um, <laughs> anyway, on, on one of the very many beautiful bike rides I took while um, in Amsterdam, I happened to pass a wall that had a lot of graffiti on it, and one of the phrases happened to be "Only when flooded could I let go," and it was written in really sky high, like big white sky high writing against a very dark wall, and it seemed to speak to me at the time that I saw it because to me that message is that that when when things get too much emotionally in life, like the the only way to persevere is to sort of go through what you're experiencing and come out the other side. And to me, that's what the title seems to resonate. Um, and I I wrote the phrase down on a piece of paper and I stuck it up near the piano where I write. And as I wrote a lot of the tracks on the EP, I seemed to meditate on this phrase. And, and it did take on different meanings to me over the period of writing these tracks. I mean, when I say that I saw the, the phrase four years ago and then I wrote the EP, it doesn't mean that I was constantly writing for four years but it's in your mind but it's in it's my in the mind back of your head, isn't it? and um yeah and then you know i i would say that titling the ep is in terms of the process of doing your work giving something a title seems to be the last thing that i would do in my creative timeline and um and this the phrase still was really important to me and i remembered writing the tracks during this phrase so it won out the single far from view released mm. in february First, last year. Last year. Yeah. yeah, it was the first new song in, in a couple of years. Mm. And you've worked with Ella Hooper. I have. How was that Ella's a good for friend you, of mine. Yeah. Um, I was really starstruck when I first met Ella. I met her backstage at Home Bake in 2013. And Ella was definitely an idol of mine growing up. My first instrument is actually bass guitar. And um, Weir and Mascara by Killing Heidi were two of the first songs that I learned. Great music. Um, yeah, very good. Very good songs. And when I met Ella, I definitely had, you know, a, a bit of a gob, gobsmack sort of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we just seemed to really hit it off. And um, Ella and I went on a double headline tour last year in support of my single and in support of a single that she released called Low High. And um, we have, we've just become natural friends over that time because we seem to have a lot of the same tastes in music. And um, Ella is also very supportive of young artists, not just me, but other people that she works with and has a lot of really good advice to give. And not, on, not only that, but the songs that she writes today are just as good, if not better, than the songs that she wrote in Killing Heidi. Let's go on to the new single and video, which yes. is called Don't Cry Those Tears. Now... I really hate doing this, but I I like hearing. He really the likes track. doing this. He's just not admitting no. it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like hearing the track first and then watching the video. Okay, but in yeah. your case, it was the other way around. I think I actually watched the video first. I was going. I was a, I was a bit distracted with what was going on. <laughs> Part of the party was <laughs> a bit there, There's a lot going on. I in know. There. Yeah. A lot going on in the video. In the video, yeah. it is quite sort of dark and and moody and and mysterious and I guess. Hot was there's bare mm. bottoms, and lots stuff. of steam, wasn't there? Yeah. Steam. There's plenty of steam. steam. There's, there's um, two bare bottoms did, in the video <laughs> if you're film, counting at home. Where did you film the video and what was that? 
What was the shoot like? <laughs> Keep um, it together, Leo. The, <laughs> the, video, the video was um, actually filmed in Woodford in London. Um, okay. Yeah, so it wasn't filmed in Australia. I, I worked with um, two really incredible filmmakers called Brian and Carl, who made my first video, Far From View, which was released last year. It's, um, it's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. And um, Brian and Carl and myself, um, or I, had a had a great reaction to the first video. It got Rage Clip of the Week. And, um, I, and I feel as directors, Brian and Carl have a really strong vision. And when I sent them Don't Cry Those Tears, we really wanted... I really wanted Brian and Carl to be able to do the video, but they'd already moved to London by this point. Um, except rather than viewing that as an obstacle, I just decided if we wanted the video to go ahead that I should cross the pond and do it with them. So we the the video wasn't actually filmed in a bathhouse. It's actually it's actually a um a locker room that is next to an oval in Woodford and we just filled it with lots of dry ice and called a few extras on Grinder and Scruff who were happy to be in a video for of the day. Of course they were. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not your average dating app message, but, um, you know, it, the it, word it got worked out anyway. The word got out yeah. and we found some willing participants who were happy to disrobe. Um, except it I should be noted that the first <laughs> bottom that you see in the video um, is of the director, Carl, who likes to make a cameo. In really? Most of is that the, the one that's sort of walking away from the camera yes, full length? Yes, oh, that boy. is Carl. That yes. is Carl. Yeah, he and seems to have gotten a lot of attention. I was showing that to the girls at work yesterday. Let's yeah. just say there was plenty of yahoos. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of bottoms, towards the end of the video, you... Disrobe as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but me being naked isn't a really um, big issue for me. I I feel quite comfortable being nude, not because um, I think I have an especially great body or anything, but I just um, <laughs> but I I don't I don't know. I, d- I just felt like it was it was part of the job. I mean, you asked what the what the shoot was like, and you know, I think that people have this really glamorous idea of what filming a music video is, and that it you know, just magically comes together in a couple of hours and everyone's having a great time. But yeah. it's, it's kind of like going through a 48-hour exercise boot camp where you're just left It looks wondering. intense. It, it is really intense. intense yeah. and, um, and it is very exhausting. And, there is you know, nothing... for anyone who's been on a film set, there is a lot of doing the same thing again and again and again. So... You know, you just have to kind of get on with it and it's business and work. And while the nude scenes are interesting, um, I think that they're also part of the narrative of the video. And they're, they're not necessarily meant to shock, but they're just meant to be part of the story. And um, it was all... It, it, the video did turn out to be pretty steamy, for use of a better word in the end. But um, but the vibe on set was very professional. We had robes in between shots, and um, you're all adults. You're all yes, grown up. We were and all adults. Nothing wrong all grown with ups. going commando, is there? No, there's not. <laughs> no, there's not. Um, Attitude magazine in the UK did an article online. Yeah, video, amazing. Really cool. Great. Yeah, and Rolling Stone here being really supportive yeah. as well, which yeah. is fantastic. Um, I guess let, let's go on to the song because I remember when I heard the song without the video, I said to Brian that your voice on the track reminded me a bit of Elvis. It's sort of oh, right, old yeah. 
Has, has that maybe I'm just sort of thinking no, about it. No, no, no. A couple of Elvis before? Elvis has been mentioned. Yeah, before. just just the whole vibe, the whole even the sound of it is quite sort of sixty ish yeah. type of was it the intention or Well the the way that I record my music is that I just use entirely analogue instruments and it was recorded on a seventies Elka organ. So it's got that vintage sound already embedded into the track. I mean, what you hear essentially is just the one instrument. It is this Elka organ that I found on the side of the road one day and that I rescued and took home and it's been carted with me to every house that I've lived at wow, since. Wow, um, Yeah, it's really cool. And then there's only a couple of other instruments that have been added, like bass guitar, vocals obviously, and real drums to sort of feel like that sound. But the at the time of writing that track in particular, I was listening to a lot of Roy Orbison and mm, I was listening oh, to Angelo Badalamenti and a lot of the Twin Peaks soundtrack and that sort of stuff. So, so the influences, are, the stuff that I was listening to reflects the, the sound and the songwriting of that time. It's also got a little bit of that um, 60s girl group sort of feel with the yeah. call and answer between... Uh, my vocal and the female backing and um, yeah, you wouldn't be wrong at all to suggest um, that, you know, that there are shades of Elvis. Because everyone yeah. interprets music a bit differently. Yeah, you know, that's is very really true. cool about music. And you played a gig last night at the Empty Gallery. Yes, I did. a small venue here in Melbourne. I guess, how did the gig go? Because you're doing Sydney on Wednesday night. The gig went really well. Empty Gallery is an intimate new venue that um, is run by a famous band photographer, actually, called Wilk. So um, a lot of people would probably know Wilk's photos, but they they mightn't necessarily know who he is. I mean, he's he's photographed a lot of great artists like Katie Steele from Little Birdie, um, Last Dinosaurs, who are quite a big Brisbane band, have a lot of his press shots up at the moment. And um, Wilk is a as a supporter and um, I guess enthusiast um, of Australian music and local artists offered up his um, studio space for me and Fitzroy to perform in, um, where I was joined by a oh, Melbourne yeah. artist called Olympia. Yeah, who is sort of like a blonde PJ Harvey. Oh, lovely! Yeah, she's fantastic. So that the EP is out, um, the single is online, the video is online. Um, it's all online. All Everything's online. online. Everything's these digital. Days. Now. Everything is digital. We can get you yeah. on social media, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There's a new project coming up with Ella Hooper, Brian. Is that true? Yeah, that, that is true. Actually, there's a bit of rumblings. Yeah, that that is true. Um, Ella and I. Because we've sung together at our respective shows, we we either like to do a duet of Cloud Busting by Kate Bush or of Total Control by The Motels. Um, We've decided that we would like to take the project a little bit further and for us to do an original duet, two original duets, one written by me and one written by Ella, and to maybe find a few other songs that aren't necessarily duets, but that we think have the potential to be good cover songs, I suppose. And we would like to record that and do a small run of shows next year sometime at a few boutique festivals. So Ella, Ella and I do have a project in the works, and I'll also be back down in November for a, a very secret um, Melbourne Music Week project that will come to that will be um, let known to the public in October. 
so no rest for the weekend up for yeah. you Jack. yeah very busy the new i guess the new ep only when flooded could i let go that's the one a mouthful but yeah. still good <laughs> uh, featuring a single don't cry those tears is online right now you can follow jack on all our socials facebook twitter instagram Thanks for joining us tonight, Thanks, Jack. Jack. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's no been problem. a real pleasure. And as we like to do, we like to get you to introduce your track. So would you like to introduce <laughs> Don't Cry Those Tears? Sure. It's a mouthful, oh, but he's going to do the it. Spot. <laughs> um, hey there, this is Jack Colwell. You're listening to Joy 94.9, and you're about to hear Don't Cry Those Tears from my new EP, Only When Flooded Could I Let Go. Service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.